Hi, I'm Brittany Hoffman. And I'm Madeline Phipps. Welcome to Shifting Ears. This is the Valley Metro internal podcast talking all things transit, transportation, and everything you need to know about the agency behind the scenes and some upfront stuff you may not know about. Brittany. Maddie. Our phones have been ringing off the hook from media networks across the valley about one topic. What is that topic? The Phoenix Suns and how hot they are. No, just kidding, Maddie. It's been about gas prices, which are also super hot and rising right now. The gas prices are over $4 a gallon. Do you know how much a pass for all day on bus and light rail is, Maddie? $4? You tell me. Pick. It's not hard in my mind, but that's what we've been telling people. $4 a gallon gas or $4 for a ticket. It's their choice. Okay, I have to say, Brittany, if I had to choose one person to be a spokesperson in the news for the Suns, I would choose you. Just you wait, Maddie. Suns are heading to the playoffs and the rail ride is a thing. I'm going to be on TV talking Suns. Just you wait. I know it's going to happen. Oh, I can't wait for it to happen. But in the meantime, if you've had your TV on at all in the last week or your radio, you've probably heard Brittany talking about gas prices, impact on transit, ridership, all that good stuff. So we wanted to dive a little bit deeper into that topic. And also, since we're two years out from the pandemic starting, and we obviously know COVID did a number on our ridership, haha, pun intended, we are talking to one of our colleagues in the Capital and Service Development Division today who can tell us all about ridership, trends, what we see happening now, what we hope might happen in the future, how we stack up with our peer agencies. So let's dig into the numbers and learn a little bit from today's special guest. I'm Aaron Xavier. I'm a service planner three or senior service planner. I do a lot of kind of different things, have my hands in a couple different areas. So mostly statistical mapping stuff. I do the ridership reports for the agency. I do Title VI analyses, which is federally mandated equity analyses. Uh, a lot of mapping for service changes and just general, you know, geographic analysis. We get out on the routes and survey them. We do some outreach uh, sometimes. So work with finance, a little bit of everything there. That's great. So Aaron, what was your background in? Is Valley Metro the first place you've worked in planning or have you done other planning type roles in other places? Before I moved to Arizona, I lived in upstate New York, Albany, which is like the capital of New York. So I was actually working at an MPO there, so kind of the analog of MAG here. And I was doing transportation planning still, but it was more kind of multimodal, not as robust a transit presence as it is out here, but did a little bit of transit work, did some road and bridge infrastructure planning. So that one was a really broad job. And then even before that, I lived in Boston for several years, kind of where I got my degrees. And we did kind of general public policy analysis. A full jack of all trades, Aaron. Between <laughs> Albany and Valley Metro, you've got it covered. I always like to tell people Aaron is the stat man or the ridership guy. That's how I affectionately <laughs> refer to him. Can you go into some of our ridership stats and kind of what we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic and where the trends are really going? Sure. So yeah, the pandemic hit us pretty hard, hit everybody pretty hard nationally, even internationally. Even if you look at Canada or Europe, places where transit is still pretty strong. They took a big hit. In the U.S. particularly, and kind of mirroring uh, what we see here in the region, there was about a 50% drop, uh, or even more so, in almost every transit agency's ridership. And even though VMT has been a little bit quicker to come back, ridership still isn't exactly where it used to be before. It was getting pretty close. It's been a bit of a slow slog up for all modes. Rail has been doing a little bit better recently than bus, but we're still about 
40 to 50% down where we were pre-pandemic, so 2019, early 2020. We've taken a couple hits. We've, we were coming up really strong before we introduced front door boarding again. And I think once the open secret that fares are free kind of was ended, that the rideship took a little bit more of a dive. And we were at about only 15% below where we used to be. Now we're, like I said, back to about 40% mm. below where we used to be. Hmm. Well, I guess that's kind of good news and bad news because we definitely want to have people being honest and writing the system who are paying their fare. But certainly that's kind of, I guess, to be expected. So do you have any insight on the type of trips that we're seeing most commonly with our ridership numbers slowly inching back up? That's a good question because before, you know, we as an agency generally have done a lot of work to track the nature of trips that people take. Every couple of years, we undertake a pretty big origin destination survey that tells us not only the usual information that we know, which is where people are boarding, but also where they're alighting or getting off and kind of connecting those trips. So we actually have a feel for not only where they're coming to and going from, but what time they're going to that place and the purpose of that trip. And since COVID, we have kind of lost a little bit of a grip on what is happening in that regard because we haven't had a good O&D survey since pre-COVID. But a couple of things that we do see is that the express trips aren't coming back as strongly as they were. It can be a bit of an apples to oranges comparison because the express service also took the biggest service cut in terms of the schedules. So it's hard to say exactly that those are really underperforming, but Compared to the other services, those are still only at about 20% of what they used to be. So those have taken the hardest hit. So I know that is kind of the inverse of the question of kind of what is coming back, that is what's not coming back, at least with the hybrid schedules. So what we do see kind of more coming back is midday trips or more flexible commuting and travel patterns, I guess. I think part of this we ascribe to more hybrid work schedules. So people may be going out more in the middle of the day to be doing stuff, whereas before it was all morning or more so in the evening or on the weekends. And now things are kind of spreading out more evenly. So a lot more midday trips and a lot fewer commuting peak hour trips. So we're seeing, I think, more you know, just general use trips on the system that in the future, we're going to need to tailor our services a little bit better too by making transfers a little bit easier and just really focusing less on the peaks because often it was kind of the primacy of the peaks that made us focus on our scheduling on the peaks and then kind of everything else was ancillary. We're targeting certain land uses perhaps or certain events, but we're not really thinking too much about the other trips that we kind of called them. So like medical use, recreational, commercial. I think really the more that people's schedules start to free up that we're seeing that may take up a larger and larger percentage and it's going to take a little bit more of our focus to really target those trips. So travel trends and patterns are changing and I'm guessing that's not just here but can you give us a look regionally and or nationally how is Valley Metro comparing? We're down 40 percent. Is that what we're looking at across the country? Where are we really comparing to our peers right now? That's a good question. Overall, I think we're pretty well situated, you know, in the middle of where other agencies are. Some of them, I think, have been a little bit quicker to rebound, some of them a bit slower. So I was just kind of looking at some stuff today. I think New York City has been doing really well. So I think when you have certain land uses in certain areas where there's a big built-in population of transit-dependent people, like a D.C. or a New York, that they're a lot more resilient than an area like us or L.A. that's a lot more sprawled out. That, like I said, I think we're still trying to target the new dynamics, whereas in a place like New York, pretty much everything is plugged into the transit system. So 
And the transit is so robust that they're serving well the people in the, the middle of the day, probably as well as anybody else is serving, even during the peaks. And I think that's helped them to rebound. Whereas, you know, in Arizona, we do have a big population of, and a growing population, but I think the people that come here are a lot more auto-dependent. A lot more people that come here have cars, and a lot more people that come here expect, you know, I can just get around in a car because that's the way that the land use is kind of spread out for me. That's the way that the investments in transportation have largely been made in the region is to subsidize auto travel over transit travel. And so I think that is kind of stymieing our return to strong ridership in comparison with some areas like that. And I think some of the other areas are doing pretty well in the sense that they're pretty proactively targeting policies in terms of giving free fares or really reorganizing their entire transit network based on new data and travel trips that they're either observing anecdotally or that they're actually getting new data on. For example, the cell phones that are being tracked, everyone's cell phones are being tracked, and that data is often being fed into transit agencies so that they're doing pretty much a, an O&D survey every week or every month that they can pay for it and find out where people are going now as opposed to where they were going. And they feel like they have very little to lose because their ridership was hitting rock bottom essentially during COVID that they've taken what would have been a pretty radical step before of kind of blowing up their transit network and rebuilding it to fairly good success because, like I said, they had very little to lose. They were using some of the latest data and trends to reestablish a good network, and they you know, were taking some risks that I think are paying off. Wow, that's really interesting, and I kind of wonder if we'll see something like that happen in our agency. I mean, who knows? But you did mention how our region is pretty car-centric, and I know in the news lately the big buzzword is gas prices are rising. They're higher than they've been in a long time. So I was curious if we've seen any effect on ridership related to gas prices, or is it too soon to tell? And if we are going to see something, like when do you expect we could have a trend in a ridership increase due to some big outside factor like gas prices? Yeah, we do expect the gas prices to bump us up a bit. As everyone knows who's been to the pumps lately, it's kind of a shock. And I think People are starting to reevaluate the calculus of what is affordable, what is preferable, especially as people are being called more back to work. We'd hope, going off of the heels of the comments on commuter traffic kind of being so low, that that will rebound a bit once people realize the costs are really mounting in comparison to the kind of static cost of taking a commuter trip. I think it's still a bit early to tell because the gas prices, I think, have only really bumped up the past month or two. But lately, our numbers have been looking pretty good. One thing that does complicate our ability to tell that rebound is, like I mentioned before, the return to front door boarding and how that does also play into that calculus of what is the cost of my trip. Essentially, if before I was riding free and now I'm not riding free, that raises the cost, but now also the costs are rising for gas and other things. Even buying a car recently has been pretty difficult. So that would have been another thing that we would have thought as the car market got a little bit wacky and as the gas prices got a little bit crazy that those two factors were going to bump up our ridership. So lately the numbers have been looking good, been rebounding since that return to front door boarding. But I think, you know, March and April is really where we're going to see that trend be made or broken. I just want to make it clear, Aaron, Valley Metro never went fare free. We know what happened out on the yeah. system. <laughs> But we were never a fare-free system. But yeah. like you said, tons of other agencies have been relying on that and using that. Some of them went fare-free during the pandemic and have not returned to taking a fare. So it'll be interesting, I think, definitely within the next year or so to see how 
all of those programs and different reallocation of how people are paying for their fares factors into us in the Valley and what that means for us going forward. I think that's a big thing to keep an eye on. Yeah, I know that before all this COVID stuff happened, that ridership was kind of in a slow downward trend. We were trying to think of how do we rebound from you know, 2017 was kind of wishful thinking at this point. And that idea did come up of you know, reducing fares or fare-free or having fare-free zones or fare-free days or fare-free events or whatever. Back in that day when you said it, it was kind of like a Bernie Sanders moment. And the room kind of got quiet because that was a really radical idea. But now I think a lot of people are trying it and testing it and it's being found to not be as crazy. And all kinds of people aren't getting on the bus that are causing a bunch of ruckus. And especially when you look at the FY21 Fairbox recovery figures that I think are about to come out. I believe in the TPR that we're in the low single digits of Fairbox recovery and probably below the threshold at which we're actually making money, collecting money. So we're probably losing money, collecting money, which I think is an interesting point because then you start to wonder, what could we do with that margin of money that we're spending to collect money? We could probably be putting more security out on the system to actually address that issue, increasing access to transit and boosting our ridership numbers. I think it's important to have people who work in all the different parts of Valley Metro who see things from a different perspective and can look at the data one way. We can look at security incidents one way. And obviously, all of those different factors have to kind of mix together to help us determine what kind of policies we want to implement. And so I think it's great to bring these things up for discussion and kind of wonder about what some of the options might be moving forward. And as we saw, COVID was kind of this big reset in so many different sectors, transit and transportation especially. So it's great to keep in mind kind of what our peer agencies are looking at and whether we want to adopt those things or not for our own agency. So I think it's great for you to bring that up. Yeah, I hate to sound like a managerial quote or something, but it's almost like taking this bad situation and looking at the silver lining of it as almost being, you know, we have lost so much and we're essentially at a point where a lot of transit dependent folks are in the pool. We don't have too much to lose in terms of experimenting and trying things that we were already proposing. And we do have the benefit of seeing what a lot of other agencies have done to really go out on a limb. So I think now is the time to be making those big moves if we were to make them. Speaking of free, all of us as Valley Metro employees get a free transit pass to hop on transit anytime. So if you haven't taken advantage, you should do that. I know I hop on the rapid sometimes, definitely a light rail rider. Maddie hops on light rail sometimes. Aaron, are you taking advantage, taking transit? Oh, yeah. I live in Tempe, so my usual stop is the Mill Ave stop. Rode in this morning, ride in, uh, I think, every day since we've been coming back. Wow. He's really walking the walk, people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do want to end us on a high note, if you will. The first weekend in March, we had a bunch of great festivals, activities, fun events, and it was our highest ridership weekend, I think, since the pandemic started, right? So will you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, as events come back and travel generally comes back, I think people are going to be more reliant on transit to get them where they need to go, especially if alcohol is involved or if expensive parking is involved. That all factors into people's calculus of the value of transit. I think as we see those events coming back, we're going to see ridership coming back as well. And we do keep good track in our ridership reports of the events monthly, kind of as a guide to say, oh, why was the ridership so low this month? Or why was it so high this month? And we can say, oh, because well, there's a Kenny Chesney concert or something and everybody loves him or whatever the case may be. So I think as we see the events come back, that's definitely going to be a boost. Because, you know, you look, and like I said, I do it every month, so there was like a year of just nothing happening. So it's good to see this past February, there was like 70 events, whereas before there was nothing. And that's definitely going to be a boost to us. 
Yeah, some of those events include Suns games, Aaron. Whoop, whoop. Super hot. <laughs> and your, your ticket to the game is your ticket on the train. Yeah. Aaron, please tell people about your amazing Zen office. So I'm kind of a plant fanatic. I think it's just kind of living in the city. You get to miss the greenery and the fresh air. And yeah, some days I just kind of look out over the valley from the office and just see the brown cloud of smog hanging over the city. And I just huddle close to my plants in their fresh air. So that's like super important to me. But I have like pretty much no space on my desk. It's all covered by several different plants. I think I have like 15 gallons of soil on my desk just to sustain the life. Got a nice couch as well, I think, last summer. So I kind of missed that very productive dynamic of being on my couch, which is from home. And before it was kind of like, oh, you can't really relax and work well. But I think we struck that balance pretty well teleworking. And I just thought, stay comfortable coming back to the office because I thought return to the office is imminent. I know that keeps getting pushed back, but felt that would be a good investment to once they do actually drive us back in here to have an office kind of like that. All right, Erin, you mentioned to us a very exciting new change in your life. Will you tell us more about that? Yeah, so over Christmas, I got a pug puppy. His name is Piglet. Like the pugs have curled tail, they have the smush nose, and obviously he's a pretty little guy. And we also have a golden, his big brother, that's Pooh Bear. So we have Pooh Bear and Piglet. And they play together, they're pretty cute. Like we just got the pug a squirtle costume, which is kind of like his padding as he. I don't want to say battles, but kind of plays with the big dog. So the golden is pretty gentle, but he doesn't really know his strength, so sometimes he gets like kind of body checked against the wall, and you're like, oh geez, he needs some padding here. But we wanted it to be cute, so he's like this little squirtle, they kind of battle it out. That is amazing, wow. and I wish there I was footage that. of that for the podcast. <laughs> I do know what you mean in terms of my parents have a eight-month-old pit bull puppy, and he has grown immensely and does not know how big he is. So I assume your doodle is the same way. Yeah, he's four years old. He's, like, fully grown. He's, like, 100 pounds. But, yeah, Goldens are so gentle. I mean, they're known to, like, hold eggs in their mouth and not break them. And so he, even when he, like, has his whole head in his mouth, we're like, oh, Pooh Bear. It's only kind of like, oh, I could do this to you, but I, I'm not, I'm gonna not going to jump down on you. <laughs> Just to show you, I could if I wanted. But I'm not going like, to. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Maddie, it was good for me to hear from Aaron because after all my media interviews, I mean, I'm talking high level, but to know what the peer agencies are doing, how we're stacking up against transit agencies nationally, I think we're in a good spot. I feel good about where we're going with the agency. I do too. And honestly, I've been taking a math class since high school. So I'm really glad that people like Aaron are at Valley Metro paying attention to this stuff. <laughs> because heaven forbid I would have to. Now to the main event, Maddie. Prizes. Everyone knows they're my favorite thing. It's prize time, people. First off, we'd like to give a shout out to Mackenzie McGuffey. She was the first respondent from last episode's trivia question. And she got herself a $25 gift card. Maddie. Are you ready to give away another $25 gift card? Yes, I am, Rennie. As a reminder, email us with the answer to today's question at podcast at valleymetro.org. And if you're the first person to respond with the correct answer, you will win the gift card for this episode. All right, Brittany, what is today's question? Today's question is, what are the names of Aaron's two dogs? Bonus if you can tell us, what type of dog? You don't get any extra, but I'll give you an extra clap. So a reminder, email us at podcast at valleymetro.org 
First person to answer this episode's question correctly, and you win a $25 gift card. All right. I think we've covered it all. For Valley Metro, I'm Madeline. I'm Brittany. Thanks for riding with us. We'll meet you at the next stop. Shifting Ears is produced by Peter Corkery and Alex Sotsos. Taylor Dunn is the executive producer. I'm Madeline Phipps with Brittany Hoffman. Thanks for listening.